Hello and welcome to the uh, Town Alone podcast, the podcast powered by a wheel. Uh, I am your host, Adam, and joined always by my co-host, Mike. Mike, how are you doing? I'm just dandy this morning. Good to hear. Good to hear. What would you think of the Monaco Grand Prix? That's some sort of, like, uh, dancing competition? or. All right, Mike, so as you know... <laughs> Town Alone podcast in its infancy has been powered by a wheel. And what has the wheel done in the past? Uh, it spun and it mm. stopped spinning at a certain point. Well, I got good news and bad news for you. The wheel will continue to spin and stop spinning, but it will be spinning for new purposes. For those of you, the longtime listeners to the first two episodes, you may know that when we spin the wheel, that decides our topic for this week. And then we talk about that for 20 minutes and then spin the wheel for our next topic. Now, I wanted to try something out. If it doesn't work, we'll go back to the old format. But if it works better, then perhaps one day we could be the new Barstool Sports. So, Mike, the new way we're going to do this is that we are going to break down the show into normal segments. So, this week, we'll be talking about basketball, the conference finals there, hockey, and football. Some off-season thoughts. But, to get us into the topic and get the blood flowing, I've decided to come up with a few mini-games for us to play when we first start talking. And those mini-games will be decided by a wheel, a la Mario Party style. Now, these mini-games can be from a set of lots of things, but I would prefer to spring them on you as the time comes instead of telling you straight up. How does that sound to you, Mike? Uh, sounds great. It's, uh, it's Wheel 2.0. It's Wheel 2.0. All right, Mike, how about we get started here? What are you feeling like talking about? You feeling like going hockey or basketball first? Um, let's do basketball first. That's good, because no matter what you said, I was going to talk about basketball. All right. All right, so to give, uh, to give some context to the time period we're recording this in, last night was the game in which Derek White, with .3 seconds left on the clock, took a one-point lead for the Celtics with a tap-in after Jimmy Butler had taken a one-point lead for the Heat by hitting three free throws in a row. So, Mike, are you ready to start the timer and get our first wheel spin? Let's do it. Right. Spin in the wheel. And just barely avoiding perhaps the best minigame, we got a good minigame. So this is pretty simple concept. We are going to go through and rank... Something. Today's rankings for the NBA is we're going to go through and talk about shots. We're going to go and through and rank some of the best shots that you can remember. Now, I know that I haven't let you prepare for this at all, so part of this is going to be a little bit off the cuff, and we'll figure it out as we go. How does that sound? Uh, I don't have a choice. Yeah, you really don't. <laughs> all right, start the timer here. So, Mike, I have my preliminary rankings here um, for the best postseason shots of all time. Mm -hmm. Now, before we get started here, I did want to ask, does the chase down block from LeBron, Game 7 of the 2016 NBA Finals, does that count as a shot? It was someone else's shot, to be fair. I Yeah, but I don't think that can count. Now, if you said, like, play, then it would count. Okay, so just going with shots, then. Yeah, just shots. Okay, so off the top of my head, I'm going to give you my top three here. So mm -hmm. going back to what I was just talking about here, at number three, I have 
Kyrie Irving step back in the uh, Game 7, 2016 NBA Finals. Uh, that's mm-hmm. from the sequence uh, that they, they talked about in the fourth quarter, which was the shot, the stop, and the, the block. Yeah. So that's where Kyrie Irving steps back behind the three-point line and shoots over arguably the best shooter of all time, Steph Curry, mm-hmm. to take the lead. Now, number two, I have Michael Jordan's last shot, which is his shot to seal the victory over the Jazz in the 1998 NBA Finals. That's game six. That's the one where he jumps up in the air after and pumps his fist. Yeah, yeah, you, uh, Are you familiar with this? You hear about this? I am. That's like this? such an that's a iconic NBA image. Iconic, some would say. I, yeah, that should be the new the little jumping like fist. We don't really call it a pump. More of like a fist throw because it was kind of like to the side. I don't know. We'll call it a pump. Um, that should be the new NBA logo. That would be a good logo. We gotta wait. We I think we gotta wait until Jordan dies though for that. Yeah, isn't that how that works? Jerry West is dead for sure, right? I honestly don't know. I don't think he is. <laughs> yeah, he's he's, he's yeah. the president of basketball operations or the GM oh, that's or right for the Clippers. That's right. Yeah. And number one, I have the Ray Allen shot from the 2013 NBA Finals. Uh. Now. I'll be honest with you, I mostly pick these off of memory, so I'm sure that there are some great NBA shots in the past, mm-hmm. but those are my top three. Do you have any complaints there? So, for, I don't have any complaints, but I will say that you, like, when you say iconic shots, and you think, like, you know, based on how old I am and ones that are burned into my mind, the first one that came to mind was the Ray Allen shot. Um, I had that number one. Yeah, yeah. So, that... That was an awesome one. And also that was like, I mean, I hope LeBron James like sends Ray Allen a Christmas card every year just because that, that shot made it possible for him to finally get over the hump and win his first title. Um, Kawhi Leonard obviously comes to mind. Yeah. So some honorable mentions I had on there and I want to get talking here in a second about the Derek White shot and about mm-hmm. that, uh, that game six that we just watched last night. Mm-hmm. But I had under my honorable mentions, I had the Kawhi Leonard shot, and I had, um, uh, do you remember the, the Dame Lillard goodbye game? Yes. Yeah, I had that one on there, and then uh, I threw the Derek White one on there, but that's maybe just recency bias, because it wasn't necessarily a great shot, right? In fact, arguably, it was following up a terrible shot, but it was such an impactful thing, and it sets up the Celtics to come back down from a, an 0-3 hole for the first time in NBA history. Yeah. I um, This is totally semi-random, but I feel like at some point this week, after having this conversation, I'm going to be on, I'm going to go down a YouTube rabbit hole looking at, like, videos of, like, most ridiculous Steph Curry threes. I don't know why. It just popped in my head. It's kind of, it's kind of <laughs> weird. I don't, I don't really think of Steph Curry as having an iconic shot moment in the postseason can you think of any of those not in the postseason um i try. i do remember in would have been i think maybe in the first i think it was in that first series um which jogged my memory who'd they beat in the first round now i can't oh, they, oh that's right yeah they knocked out knocked out my beloved sacramento kings but there was like a couple games in there where curry just went into like that like terrifying mode um but, yeah, there's, there's really no iconic shot. I don't – yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, maybe we should come back next week with our, our Curry list because that feels like it's definitely wrong. Yeah. 
So that was our, our quick little mini game there. Um, we'll see how this, this new wheel progresses, but I do, with about 15 minutes left on the clock, want to talk about uh, what we're looking at here mm-hmm. with the, the Celtics Heat, where, where we're at with that. So obviously, to, to open the series, the Heat, who have already knocked off two teams that were supposed to be better than them. Well, I mean, you know, the Knicks were the Knicks, but they knocked Indeed. off the, uh, well, you know what they were. <laughs> they knocked off they knocked off the Bucks in round one, and now they were on the precipice of knocking off the Celtics. Technically, still on the precipice. But mm-hmm. last night, you pointed out that this has happened before in hockey. Correct? The yes, Coming so back from the 3-0 hole. Not in the conference finals, but coming back from the 3-0 hole. Yeah, the, the Bruins blew a 3-0 lead to the uh, Philadelphia Flyers back in 2013. It was a 2013 playoffs. You know what I was just kind of thinking about? Um, I, I know I was, I was talking about something, but I, I'm going to kind of tangent off here. Go for it. How many times have we seen the 3-1 comeback? I mean, the most infamous 3-1 comeback is... 2016 finals. Yeah, Draymond hits LeBron in the balls and all falls apart. <laughs> okay, so I just pulled up a list here. There's 13 of them. Um, in our lifetime, or our, our, our like sports watching lifetime, Jesus, <clears throat> I'm choking to death. Uh, 2003 Pistons, 2006 Phoenix Suns, the 2015 Rockets coming back. Wait, James Harden, Dwight Howard, who they come back against? Oh, the Clippers. That series. Okay, yeah. that's coming back to me. Mm-hmm. The, and then the 2016 Warriors, who came back from 3-1 against the Thunder, and then the Cavs came back from 3-1 against them. Um, and then a few years ago, the Nuggets did it twice. Wow. Why is that so much more common? Oh, I remember that when the Nuggets did it twice. Because I, I think in the finals of uh, the Western Conference, I, I think I remember joking like in that series, like they just got to get down 3-1, and then they'll start playing. I don't know. I think it three one may kind of can lure you into a false sense of security because it quickly goes from, you know, you slip up in in game five, like being down three one and three two feels so like different. I like how you say that three one can lure you into a false sense of security, but three zero doesn't. Yeah, it it can also it lures you into the false sense of security, but also the. what it takes to like get back into the series is more uh um i've lost my ability to english today insurmountable aren't you supposed to be like the analytics guy around here yeah basketball analytics i'm not as you know up you know as uh, fresh on you don't know knowledgeable nuggets, the 2023 nuggets core c4 no, I do not. I used to, I mean, for a while there, I'd like pay attention to like PER and then that started to become like considered a flawed, a flawed statistic. Well, I think like everything with context, PER is a pretty good statistic, but it just favors big men. Isn't that kind of the issue with it? Yeah. Because like, I think a big percentage of it is shooting efficiency and look at, I mean, this year alone, look at like um, Embiid, right? Mm-hmm. Or last year, look at Zion or Shaq, like these guys that just stand in the dunker spot. Even Rudy Gobert, these guys who just stand in the dunker spot have really high shooting efficiency because they're basically just shooting layups. Yeah. So I feel like that's where PER kind of falls apart, right? Yeah. Did Ben Simmons have a good PER? Because he never shot. 
Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> but to get back to the Heat Celtics. Yes, yes. Um, so game seven coming up on Monday. We are all set to have perhaps the biggest comeback in NBA history and launch the Celtics into the NBA Finals. Besides being the analytics guy, you're also the anti-analytics guy around here. So I wanted to get your opinion on this. First off, who would you put your money on for Monday night? Now, I'm not talking don't like I'm not talking about literal bet because the Celtics opened up as a minus 400 favorite, so who the hell is betting that? But if you had to hitch your wagon to a franchise from the Eastern Conference to win it all, which one of those two teams are you going with? Um, I well, first I just want to say I love being the analytics guy and anti-analytics guy because basically what you're saying is I just you know say whatever I have to to try to make my argument correct. Yeah, <laughs> I mean you know. Yeah. Uh, so you're saying which one would I hitch my wagon to to win the whole thing or just to win game the conference seven? finals? Not not conference the whole finals. thing. I don't think anyone's yeah. beating Denver if I'm being honest with you. No, no, we'll talk. I'm sure we'll touch on them before we finish up uh, basketball talk. But um, it's so tough because the Heat knocked out my Knicks. Um, so I have beef with them. I My entire life, since the moment I was born, I've had beef with all Boston sports. So it, it's like whenever like like the Heat were up 3-0 and I was like, ah, you know, screw the Heat. And then Boston like, got back in the series and I was like, ah, screw Boston. <laughs> and so I, I just like from a fan standpoint, I don't know what to do. I am a firm believer in momentum. So with the way that game ended coming back from a three Oh hole, going back to Boston for what's going to be a wild crowd. I got to hitch my wagon to the, uh, the Celtics. Go back to the garden. Some may say, no, they're not playing in Madison square garden. What are you talking about? They're playing in the garden. Mm. Playing in the fucking garden. Eh? Yeah. So, did your hatred of Boston sports uh, lead you to hate Ben Affleck? Hmm. No, Boston actors and uh, like Boston movies with he- thick Boston accents. I'm a huge fan of. Okay, so <laughs> your your hate is purely based around the symbol on the front, not the name on the back. Do you just work another miracle reference into this this uh, company? Well, you know, <laughs> it's a it's our brand, right? We're the miracle it is guys. Our brand. We are the miracle guys. That's, I like that. We should get um, uh, shirts and tattoos that say that. Yeah, we'll think about it. What, miracle who's your pick. Who, I want I want to get your pick. I did. Remember, I said I got to hitch my wagon to the Celtics. Oh, you did. I got. I was yeah. too distracted making sure I didn't forget my Ben Affleck question. Do you think this could be a good game seven? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll steal a uh, a comment that I heard from uh, a good friend and coworker of mine last night after the game, where he said it's going to be such a letdown when Game Seven's a blowout. Um, I did say that, didn't I? <laughs> you, yeah. Oh, that's right. That was you. Um, uh, yeah, because it almost feels like it's going to have to be some kind of letdown after how wild the ending of that game was last night. Okay, so moving on from the conference finals. Let's talk about the finals a little bit with the time we have remaining here. Mm-hmm. So, there was a report that came out that Mike Malone is keeping an intense regimen for the Nuggets so that they don't get used to having time off. 
And I'm really curious what that means. Like, is he yeah. making them travel to different cities every other day? It, I, I like to think that he just simulates it. So, like, every couple of days, he's they're going to an airport and getting on a plane and just sitting there for a certain <laughs> amount of hours. Like, uh, those, those airplanes that they have, like, in the middle of airports in L.A., where influencers can go take pictures on private jets that they're not actually on yeah you know, that concept. yeah that, that's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious and also 100 percent believable that is a thing uh well it's kind of like i i might sound dumb here some people may hear this and be like how do you not know like what that means but we always hear about like nfl teams before games will be like going through uh team walkthroughs today and i don't what is that what's a walkthrough for an nfl game so I think it's where you just walk through the offensive play concepts, but like you, I don't actually know. Yeah, it, it's it just makes it sound like they like you know simulate, like you know they go in the locker room, they get ready for the game, almost like you know doing like a rehearsal for a play. <laughs> so is sports rigged? Is what I'm saying. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> Who do you think uh, in the Eastern Conference has the ba- the best chance against Denver? Um, hmm. I think, I, oh man, I feel like Boston's a little more scarier because they got Tatum and Brown. A little more scarier. Uh, yeah, let's edit that. I think Boston's a little scarier, (laughs) uh, because they have Tatum and Brown. But I, I don't, I'm not a big Grant Williams guy. <laughs> so, but, but like you, you just, whenever you think of two teams matching up, you think of like, all right, what's the one team's biggest weapon? So you think Joker. You think, all right, what do they have to counter Joker? And like, I, I don't think Boston or Miami have something that can counter him. Yeah, like I guess with Miami, you would normally say Bam Adebayo, but he's not having a good, a good uh, Eastern Conference Finals, especially the last, the last little stretch here. But no, he's been. The- inefficient and slow same thing with jimmy i think jimmy's legs are just going out on him because you know how he is he's playing as much as physically possible and then not taking his off days to like chill yeah and he had uh like nine points going into that fourth quarter last night and shot terribly yeah i think he was like two for 12 or two for 13 on the night going into the going into the fourth quarter yeah and that's been the big thing through the first three games jimmy was still kind of rolling and, you know, he was all full of, like, swagger and confidence. But as the Celtics have come back in it, that has definitely been one of the pieces. Butler's slowed down. It's kind of what – it just happened later than I thought. I thought it would happen during the Knicks series, um, and it didn't. And now it's kind of starting to happen. And then the the BAM thing that you mentioned, like, it is kind of crazy. I feel like if, if they had pre-Jimmy Butler on the Heat, BAM had a bio – because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like that was when he was kind of at the peak of his powers. Then I'd be saying the Heat would be a really interesting matchup for, for Denver. Okay, without looking it up, how long do you think Jimmy Butler's been on the Heat? Three years now, right? Three years? Four. Four years? Three or four. <laughs> I am pulling it up to give you the exact date. Three years Tw- and one day, Bob. 2019 <laughs> to present. Okay. Bam Adebayo 
has been in the league since 2017. So you're saying his first two years oh. in the league. Why am I thinking Bam's been around a little longer than that? Wow. I don't know. Oh, maybe it was just like, um, maybe I'm just thinking of like the first year or so with Jimmy Butler there is when he was a little more Yeah, dominant. I think I think he's had a quieter year this year, but he's been mm-hmm. like a consistent All-NBA or All-Defense guy. Okay, my, 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 my uh, apologies to Bam Adebayo. To Mr. Adebayo? Yes. I'm looking up to see when OG and Anobi came in the league now to see if that's who you were thinking of. Who was uh, the – oh, you on. know what? I'm, I'm sorry. You know what I might have been thinking of as far as the uh, dominant big man that was pre-Butler Heat? Remember Hassan Whiteside had a couple seasons there where he yeah, was cause a Yeah, because he, he got traded. He was he was putting up 20 and 20s that were re- 20 rebounds and – or I'm sorry, he's putting up triple doubles that would be like 20 rebounds, 11 points, 10 blocks. Yeah, he was unreal. But he, those were always fake stats, right? I mean, obviously the blocks weren't, but it was like – they weren't winning, I and mean, like no one who was no. watching the Heat was like Hassan Whiteside's awesome. Yeah, but he was no still one, getting double-digit blocks. No one was talking about like, man, if they can get some like some pieces to go with Hassan Whiteside, <laughs> this team is going to dominate. Yeah, as soon as they had the opportunity, they dumped his ass straight down to Portland in that mm-hmm. trade for Jimmy. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, want to get some quick predictions in here as we hit the end of our time. So your Eastern Conference final prediction is Boston in seven? Yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> – I'm sorry, my brain broke because I was – the fact that you said Boston in seven, like you put the games in there, like I couldn't be like, uh, no, I think uh, I think Boston in six, actually. <laughs> yes, Boston in seven. Open. I don't think did, – did you make a pick? No, but I don't have to because I host the podcast. That's true. You make the rules. I do. As I can do with the wheel. I can change it whenever I want, and it has complete domain over your life. It does. I live by the wheel. I live by the wheel. You die by the wheel, brother. Amen. Uh, yeah, so as a, a man of science, um, Boston's the better team, right? Mm-hmm. And the Heat have gotten just wild results that probably can't be maintained. I mean, their shooting splits have been great. Duncan Robinson's been playing like old school Duncan Robinson again. They are getting Tyler Hero back, but at some point you knew Jimmy was going to cool off a little bit, and it feels like that's finally coming. So as a man of science, I would take the Celtics. But as a man of God, and I know the divine power of me not agreeing with things, I uh, almost feel like I should take the heat. So I'm a little split on it, but I would I would lean Boston because it's the result I want, and it's probably the more likely result, especially playing at home. I think it's interesting. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was. I, <laughs> I, I think it's interesting that everybody pointed out the final four matchup was um, the same as the bubble year, and we'd get the opposite result. Yeah, we just got the opposite result. Like Jimmy kind of burned out. You know, ran out of steam in the finals that year, and it just happened a little earlier this year. And then, as far as the Lakers go, they just didn't have. You know, LeBron was older. AD was not the same, and. Jokic is the best player in the world right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's unreal. So then before we uh, we get out of basketball, let me get your NBA Finals predictions. Go with your pick from the Eastern Conference Finals. Okay. So we're looking at – I'd be looking at Denver versus Boston. And Denver obviously have home uh, 
trying to make pick that is 100% going to be accurate. And I'm going to say Denver in six. I'm going to say Denver in five. Okay. Okay, Adam. Adam, okay. The gentleman sweep. Mm-hmm. All right, Mike. I think, uh, think we can talk a little bit of hockey here? Oof, I've been waiting. Been waiting? Mm-hmm. Let's get the timer set. Let's go back to the gimmick wheel. So, setting up as the wheel spins here. We are going into game six of Vegas, Dallas. Uh, Dallas has come back from a 3-0 deficit, similar to the Celtics. But right now the series is 3-2, and they are playing in Dallas, I believe, for game six. That'll also be on Monday night, because we really need someone with more authority to plan these things out. So, spun the gimmick wheel. Our gimmick to start this conversation is going to be hottest take. So, Mike, what I want to hear is your your hottest take about the Stanley Cup this year. My hottest take? Your hottest take. Jeez, I don't know if I have any scorching hot takes. I have, I have a take that we'll get to a little bit later. Um, As far as Dallas getting back into the series, like I don't think the team... This, I don't think Dallas has played remarkably different than they did in their first three games where they lost. Yeah, that's not really a hot take. That's more of analysis. <laughs> that's more of an analysis. All right, so... <laughs> Let me give you my hottest take. Maybe yeah, give me your hottest take. knock some stuff free for you. Regardless of the results, Toronto should run it back because when they were playing in round one, there were stretches where they looked like the best team in the cup. So I could... I'd piggyback on that hot take. I, I do agree with that. Um, as far as, like, I still think Toronto's a really good team. They don't need to blow it up. Um, all right. I'll go with a similar Canadian hot take in that I think the opposite. I think the Oilers need to make sweeping changes. And I think some of the what we got down the stretch of the regular season where we thought this was a complete team was a little bit of a, a facade, a mirage, if you will. How about uh, I got I got one more for you here, and then I kind of want to talk about your your Oilers take here. How about this for one? Olmark turned into exactly what he should have been all season in the playoffs. I might totally agree with that because <laughs> there's already talk about like rumors and scuttlebutt about either Allmark or Swayman being on the block, and that would be crazy to think that Allmark could be the one out of there. But when a player so astronomically jumps in one season, you have to kind of have your guard up that is this really who the guy is? Right. And hockey especially has so many of these weird variables in front of it. Like team shooting percentage and where teams are taking their shots from on the ice and just weird puck bounces. And if a team scores when there's an empty goal, if a team scores when there's on a power play, that all affects our analysis of goalies. When is it entirely possible that all year Olmark got was played well and just got super lucky and the luck ran out in the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I kind of compare like goalies especially, I think 
are one of like the most dangerous uh, or high risk where that can happen, where they can have this one remarkable season. And as I constantly overuse, turn back into a pumpkin. They're kind of similar to like NFL running backs <laughs> in that, like, you know, you have to be worried. Did live, like, did Allmark pull a Peyton Hillis? You know, you, you don't want to be in that situation. Never want to pull a P- Peyton Hillis. Never want to pull a Peyton Hillis. If you do anything in your life and someone describes it as pulling a Peyton Hillis, you should be worried about the results come next year. Yes. I feel like I should get credit somewhere in the world for making an all-mark Peyton Hillis comparison. (laughs) (laughs) You might be the first person to make that, except for Peyton Hillis. I assume Peyton Hillis is constantly comparing people to himself. Yeah. I would love to hear... I don't know if he does any kind of broadcast or anything, but I would love to hear Peyton Hillis talk about draft prospects and just constantly comp them to himself, because that seems like a Peyton (laughs) Hillis move. What's like? What's the uh, like the comp? Like, you know, when I look at this kid and the way he plays, I can tell he's going to have one monster season in his career. <laughs> yeah, was Peyton Hillis on the cover of Madden one year? He was. <laughs> I, I bought that Madden on uh, Black Friday because it was on sale. Well, you know, for for whatever this podcast turns out to be, if it needs more adjusting on the wheel or anything. We're definitely the only people that had a four-minute Peyton Hillis conversation in the middle of <laughs> yes. our podcast this week. And I just want to defend myself. I didn't get up, like, you know, at, like, four in the morning specifically because, like, oh, I got to go get Madden 2012. That's on sale. I was I was in a GameStop because I got dragged there at, like, five in the morning because my sister wanted to get a deal on a 360 bundle just to uh, date myself. You got dragged to a GameStop? Yeah. Well, I, 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 I didn't get dragged. I didn't get dragged. They were like, hey, we're going to, you know – like five in the morning, we get up to go to GameStop to get this like 360 bundle they're doing, and I was like, "Oh, I'm always, you know, I'd have a GameStop." <laughs> so, do you want to talk about hockey, or you want to keep? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry. We have uh, veered off the rails. Go ahead, sir. All right, so Game Six in Dallas. We already know that the future Stanley Cup champion Florida Panthers have gone on to the next series. Mike, let me get some of your thoughts on this Vegas-Dallas series and where it's headed. So, yeah, when I looked at um, looking at like a lot of the underlying numbers, like I mentioned earlier, um, a lot of Dallas's statistics aren't that different. Like they're all pretty much in line with what they had uh, through the first three games. The biggest difference is Ottinger has finally become Ottinger again. In the last two games, he's posted a 9.49 and a 9.31 save percentage, a 1.9 and a 2.0 goals against average, and he um, is finally in the positive and expected goals against differential. So, like, I think that's really the the biggest difference that's kind of led to this turnaround. I mean, you can, I will say, if you move away from the analytics side of it and you look at the tape on the ice, it does look and feel like Dallas finally is getting a little more um, is getting more sustained uh, pressure and they are kind of um, just like the, the possession of the puck. It, it just feels like they are, they were more in control these last two games. The ice did feel a lot more slanted in the first three. Yeah. I, I do feel like they're getting more shot pressure and especially in game five last night, it did feel like um, in the the third when they finally blew up in the lead a little bit that they they're they're converting the the puck down low a lot more. Um, they're they're getting it down in front of the net. 
I did want to ask, since you have the numbers in front of me, or in front of you, I don't know why you would have the numbers in front of me. Um, what are we looking at with their their sort of luck-based statistics? Do you know what Dallas's shooting percentage and Corsi are looking like right now? You know, while you're looking at that, another thought I had is I wonder if we'll ever find out if Olmark was injured. Not Olmark, goddammit. If uh, Ottinger was injured. Mm-hmm. Because there, there seemed to be a lot of talk around that, and... I'm not a goalie whisperer by any stretch, so I didn't see anything that I would say definitely made him look injured. But there was a lot of talk of people who are smarter than me saying that he s- seemed injured. And I'd be curious to know if we'll ever get a clear answer on that. But yeah, even, that- if he, even if he was, I mean, injuries don't heal in three games. No, unless it was like something kind of like a small lingering thing. Uh like diverticulitis. Yeah, and maybe it like it kind of healed up. I mean that that's like one of those storylines that could come out um in the uh like if they get eliminated, I'm sure. And that's actually a thing we'll hear about it. You know, like there's always that one NFL player that gets knocked out of the playoffs and it's like so and so was playing with a partially torn labrum. That's also LeBron James every year. <laughs> that's that's not true. Uh so yeah, for like they're like coursey for like uh, Corsi percentage, like, for example, they got stomped game three, 4-0, and that's actually when they posted, like, their best Corsi percentage at 65.42. Um, Did Aiden Hill standing on his head for that game, you think? Yeah, yeah, that game, is Aiden Hill played really well. Um, and then even, like, their shooting percentage all series, you know, once again, with the exception of the game where they had no goals, obviously their shooting percentage is zero, but... 8.33 game one, 7.14 game two, 7.14 in game five, which was uh, the, their OT win. And then last night was their best one all series at 11.76. So you could possibly start to make an argument that there's some cracks forming in Aiden Hill. Yeah. Or or maybe you're right that it's just the, the difference maker in the series is purely going to be Ottinger and what he can or can't do. Yeah, because, I mean, they, they generated games one and two, each 12 high-danger chances. Once again, that really bad game three, they only they actually only had six. Um, but their last two wins, 18 and 15 for high-danger chances. So, I mean, more, an, an uptick, but not anything astronomical. If this was the cup final, this series, we'll just pretend that Vegas and Dallas came from different conferences and this was the cup final. Who do you think right now would be the leading candidate on Dallas for the Conn Smythe? I I definitely think it would be like uh, Rupe Hintz. Rupe Hintz would be a good one. I mean, Pavelski got cold this series, but had been shooting the fucking cover off the puck for a minute. Yeah, because you look at, uh, for example, Jason Robertson. The feeling was he's finally got it going again in this series. Um, he's but what, three goals, two goals? This series, he's up to five now. That's right. Uh, he's had three in the last uh, two or last uh, two wins here to get back in this thing. But when you look at like the numbers um, on that, like that Robertson and Hintz line, like they've stayed consistent, even though when you watch the tape, it doesn't seem like Robertson's playing as well. And that's because Rupe Hintz has really like held up while Robertson was down. Rupe Hintz really kept that ship like afloat. 
So I think it would definitely be good old Group A. Definitely not Ottinger anymore. No. No. I mean, if he if they come back win this series and he has like a lights out Cup final and they win, possibly. But I mean, he struggled in that uh, previous series against Seattle. He wasn't great. Now either. that series went to seven, similarly yeah. with lots of lots of late game scoring going on there. Mm-hmm. So with Vegas. The big impactful players for Vegas have been, besides Aiden Hill having a phenomenal playoff, but you get players like Jack Eichel, uh, who's who's their their Conn Smythe leading candidate. Do you expect the veterans of the team, like Mark Stone and Shea Theodore, to start having a bigger impact on the rest of the playoffs, or do you think that we should be paying attention to what Jack Eichel can do, and that's probably what Vegas is going to live and die by? Yeah, I think like Mark Stone's played well. I don't think he's had um, maybe like the big like statistic, like the big um, like point production. Maybe uh, he's had in some past playoff performances. But I definitely think for this team to clean up this series, get out of it, go on and win a cup, it will be on the backs of. I mean, obviously Eichel will still play a huge part, but I do think it it will be a big contribution from like those original expansion guys that made that first cup run, your Carlson's, your Marcia So's, your uh, Mark Stone's, et cetera. Cause they played a huge role in that, that Oilers series. Yeah. And see, I, on the other hand, don't think that Mark Stone has been all that impactful and, and maybe I just don't have your, your train trained Hawkeye for old man hockey, but the, the Mark Stone narrative in the past has been – I mean, you remember that that Vegas series a couple of years ago. It's him coming out against your top line and playing the Bergeron brand of 200-foot hockey to stop them. And I feel like maybe we're getting some of the defense from him, but we're not seeing the same puck advancing or his same point production on, on even secondary assists that you would come to expect out of Mark Stone. Yeah, we haven't seen the big um, – like, I know in past playoff runs, Mark, Mark Stone was kind of like how a couple weeks ago I called Carter Verhage like a big goal guy. Like, Mark Stone d- was the guy that would come up with, like, the big goals and the big points in clutch time. Um, yeah, he hasn't been – I mean, he's still, like, a net positive on the ice – um, as far as his two-way game goes. But you would be fair in saying that even on that standpoint, he's not as dominant as we've seen in the past. Here's a, here's another question for you that's just something that's occurred to the top of my, my mind. So I have this issue a lot of the time where I think it's dumb when coaches sit guys when they get two or three fouls in the first quarter mm-hmm. because if if two points in the second quarter counts the same as two points in the fourth, why wouldn't you just want your best guys out there when you were going to play them anyways? And if they foul out in the third quarter, well, you were already going to sit them anyway, so they're probably playing similar minutes to what you would have expected. Yeah, it's kind of like in football when they're like, you're down by 10, and or when you, you're going to need like a two-point conversion at some point, 
And they're like, oh, we'll go ahead and take the one this time, save the two-point conversion attempt for the next score. It's like, well, it doesn't really matter if you go for it now or later. You still need it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So in hockey, why don't they pull the goalie as soon as you're down by one score? Like, if I was a hockey coach and my team went down 1-0 eight minutes into the game, I'm going to pull my goalie and put six on the ice and try to even the score before putting my goalie back out there. That is insane. Like, insane. <laughs> Why? They pull goalies so fucking late that it doesn't matter anyways. Yeah, but that you open yourself up. I mean, the chances of... You open yourself of, up in the fourth or the third period when you pull your goalie. Yeah, but you would... The game would totally... You'd be basically shooting yourself in the foot and extremely increasing the odds you're going to let in another goal and you're going to let the game get out of hand and out of reach before... Before you pull your goalie in the third down a score with two minutes left and shoot yourself in the foot and put the game out of reach? Right, but that that's like saying once you go down... Like, you know... Once in any sport, that's like saying once a team goes down by a score in the first, you should just stop playing defense and go full attack. It's like, well, no, then they're going to score even more and the game's going to be out of reach. No, because hockey, you have a limited number of people. If you stop playing defense in football, you don't get to add more players onto offense. And it's a legitimate strategy in hockey to pull the goalie. So why not do it while you're down 1 0 in the first versus 1 0 in the third? I mean, I maybe if you wanted to say you're down 1-0 in the first, you go on the power play, you have the face-off in their zone, and maybe you want to get ballsy and then pull the goalie there, get a six attacker on, go six on four, where you can kind of dominate puck for possession, and then, you know, maybe, but I, I, I don't, I could not sign off on that as a strategy. Now, like last night, I think they pulled him way too late. You're down 2-0 two, two like at the five-minute mark. I'm getting the puck in deep, and I'm sending Aiden, Aiden Hill to the bench, and they just didn't do it very early. Here's the thing. Hockey coaches are too fucking conservative as is, right? Yeah. So the the counter strategy, the road less traveled, is to go extremely aggressive. Mm-hmm. I think that pulling the goalie in the first makes perfect sense because if a goal is worth just as much in the first period as it is in the third period, then why not pull the goalie when your legs are fresh and the score is recent and you can get back even in the game with plenty of time left to take the lead? So I don't It's the same risk for the other team anyways. If they I, if they they're still gonna be trying to shoot it and icing the puck. Yeah, I don't I can't sign off on the you go down by one no matter pull the goalie. I can sign off on the idea of being a little more like opportunistic, you know, when you pull the goalie, or if you have them pinned deep on, like I said, you have them pinned deep on, on an icing and you got like exhausted defenders out there. And it's like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go for it. Pull the goalie, put the six attacker on, you know, cause they're just going to literally, they're just going to be trying to dump the puck anyway to get their boys off the ice. Like that would be interesting to see a coach come in there and take those kind of like situational chances. It's kind of like the first time you get a, I don't know, I keep making football comparisons, but the first time you get, like, when we started getting coaches at the NFL who would be like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and go for two here, even though we're in, like, the second quarter. Yeah, that's that's the hockey equivalent of going for two in the second quarter. Yeah. Pull the goalie in the second period and go up a man. You might be onto something. I'm definitely onto something. So I guess we should probably get back to talking about the Stanley Cup, shouldn't we? 
Yeah, can I go on my Florida rant? Yeah, go on your Florida rant. Um, so we've got a couple minutes left here. So this is earlier when I said I don't know if it's a hot take, but I have a take. Uh, obviously, Panthers sweep the Hurricanes, and Matthew Kachuk not taking away from guys has been phenomenal, like just totally a game-changing force, and people are already punching their his Smythe ticket. Sergey Bobrovsky is the Smythe winner this season. This dude, single, not single-handedly, but he, as great as Kachuk was, Sergey Bobrovsky beat the Carolina Hurricanes. Why do you keep saying his name so weird? I don't know. Bob, <laughs> call him Sergey Bobrovsky. Bobrovsky. Uh, Bob beat the Canes. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was fucking ridiculous in that series. 0.966A percentage. 1. No, no. 1... Wait, wait. Before you even move on past that, that, <laughs> that 966, is that grand total over the series or is that just game one? That's grand total over those four games. That game one performance, quadruple overtime, they played two games in one. Mm-hmm. How many goals did Bobrovsky let in in that game? Three? Yes. Three no. goals in seven periods. Yeah. Fucking wild. Yeah. It's unreal. So you had the .966 for the series, a 1.12 goals against. Um, his expected goals against was 18.93. He saved almost 13 goals above expected. He <laughs> saved .911 on high, on high danger. Um, only had a .75 high danger goals against. And faced 88 rebound attempts. Which is just so important to point out. Because we talked about Carolina being, you know, because of their amount of shots. They're a, they have a lot of high danger because they look for those rebounds to get those, those tip-ins and stuff. And they, if you look at all the numbers, Carolina played their game. Like, this wasn't, like, a team effort in shutting down Carolina. Carolina played their game. All their numbers were in line with their first two, if not better than in a lot of categories, um, compared to some of their first two series, and it just didn't matter. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Carolina led the series and expected goals. Oh, yeah. Um, And when you look at – now, if you look at the whole playoffs in general – Bob has a 0.935 save, 2.21 goals against, and an expected goals against of 52.45, um, which is just unreal. I, um, oh, I'm sorry. The uh, re- rebound attempts for Carolina in that series were was 36. Bob's faced 88 throughout the whole playoffs. I got those two numbers mixed up. But I just when I look at the Panthers throughout the whole um, playoffs, like so in. First round, so in all three rounds, they have a negative differential in expected goals for, in scoring chances, in uh, shot attempts, and in high danger shot attempts. The Panthers do. The Panthers do. Every series, they're getting beat out in key statistical like offensive categories, and they're still winning. They've been outshot all... All... Out shout all playoffs and Bob has just stood on his head and I know Kachuk has, is playing phenomenal and deserves the credit but I I just Bobrovsky is like so unreal Bobrovsky I don't know how if I feel like he's not going to get the consummate if they win because Kachuk is getting all the attention with the game winning goals but God I, just, I I had to get that out there so I don't know if that's a hot take but it's definitely a take. 
I would think that Bobrovsky wins the Conn Smythe if they, they close this thing out. <clears throat> that would be my official guess. But speaking of closing this thing out, let's get your uh, your prediction, since the next time we talk here, we'll have the cup final at least set, potentially started. I have to look up the dates because I don't have them in front of me. But let's start by getting your Western Conference prediction. Hmm. My heart says Dallas, but uh, for once I'm going to try to make a non-biased prediction on this podcast. And I think I think... The games are just still close. I think Vegas will get it done, if not in Dallas in Game 7. Yeah, I uh, I think that you just kind of got to go with the math there. Dallas has to – it's a it's a best of three now that Dallas has to win two of them. So you have to just kind of go with Vegas at this point. It's just the way the math makes sense. Mm-hmm. And let me get your Stanley Cup final prediction there, Mike. Florida Panthers in four. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So you're taking Panthers over Golden Knights in a sweep. It's a straight sweep, bud. I'm going to go Panthers in seven, and that's just because I believe. I believe in a universe where the Panthers can win. I believe in an America where even a dog shit bad, horrible, no-good franchise that sucks can win the Stanley Cup Final. Throw the rats on the ice. Throw the rats on the ice. All right, Mike, we got one more topic for you today. And if I can get my cord unstuck, with great effort I have succeeded in unstucking my cord. So our last topic for today is going to be the NFL the way too early predictions for the NFL. <laughs> so, we are still a few months out from even preseason starting. We have started OTAs. The big news of the past week has been an Aaron Rodgers injury that seems minor. And DeAndre Hopkins getting cut. Am I missing anything there, Mike? Any any major news items? Um, Not super recent. It was announced last like roughly a month ago now, but uh, Jameson Williams for the Lions is going to miss the first six games. Yeah, because he'd be gambling, yo. He bet on non-NFL on non-NFL sports, but he did it inside of the Detroit Lions facility, which is a no-no, apparently. So, to get this started, I did, uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and give the wheel a spin here for our final mini-game of the day. Awesome. I love the wheel. Alright, and so our final mini-game for today is Headlines. So, Mike, let me hear what the headline is going to be come September as the games start. Um, headlines come September are going to be uh, one that's already percolating, and it's probably just going to keep growing. Uh, Jets uh, favored with the AFC East? What's their betting odds on that? I can tell you. I actually have that pulled up right now. Look at that. The uh, Jets are currently, this is uh, according to FanDuel, my sports book of choice, uh, plus 250. They're second in odds. The Bills currently are still number one at plus 130. So my headline is going to be quarterback controversy. Where? In Seattle. Ooh. 
Pete Carroll has never been a man to be too loyal to his players. Mm-hmm. He's willing to cut bait and move players. He's done it with Bobby Wagner. He's done it with Richard Sherman. He's done it with Russell Wilson. He's done it with Percy Harvin. And I think as we get closer to the season, Geno Smith's not going to be looking as good as he did last year. And we could have a quarterback controversy on our hands between Geno Smith and Drusive Locke. Uh, come September? You know, I mean, come October, I think that's possible. After if Geno has a rough, you know, quarter, first quarter of the season. But you think during just like training camp and preseason, he's going to look shaky enough for there to be a controversy? I think Drew Locke's going to look good enough for there to be a controversy. Oh, wow. You mean <laughs> Drew Locke? <laughs> Unless you're trying to like will him into being a better player by calling him Drew Locke, then, you know, that, that's a strap. <laughs> that's what they're saying. Suck for Locke, right? Yeah, that that's what they're saying. Yeah. All right, Mike, putting time on the timer here so we can get going. So you actually, I would say, uh, spearheaded this venture this time. Mm-hmm. So what did you want to go with? Did you want to start with uh, worst to first division winners, DeAndre Hopkins landing spots, or Super Bowl? Um, we'll get, let's knock D-Hop out of the way since probably won't be as long of a conversation. Oh, say that now. <laughs> so DeAndre Hopkins, who is a whopping 30 years old, was cut from the... Arizona Cardinals as they look to get Caleb Williams is now a free agent. What do you think is going to be DeAndre Hopkins team come game one of the 2023 NFL season? You want me to rattle off some potentials here that have been listed? Some people that have been floated? So I know the big two that have been rumored are the Chiefs and the Bills. Have you heard some other names? I have. Okay. The Dallas Cowboys. Hmm. Their top two receivers right now are C.D. Lamb and Brandon Cooks. Hmm. So they are definitely looking to get a number two receiver in the building. Perhaps go the Philly route of having co-number ones with C.D. Lamb and DeAndre Hopkins. And the other one that I do not understand at all is the New Orleans Saints, who have actually been getting a lot of buzz about this. Derek Carr in the building, Chris Olave as their best receiver. No real great second option, seeing as how Michael Thomas doesn't play football anymore. I was about to say that. (laughs) Throw some other names out that I've listed down myself. Uh, The Patriots, because you can't discount them on getting a big-name free agent wide receiver. I know Tom Brady's not in the building anymore, but... DeAndre Hopkins used to play for Bill O'Brien, and Bill O'Brien's back as the offensive coordinator in New England. And the New York Giants, who don't have a number one receiver and don't have any cap room, so probably not, but possibly. Mm-hmm. What are your um, thoughts there, Mike? Who are you feeling? So, with DeAndre Hopkins being... Uh, he's 30, and he is, you know, coming off of a team that played horribly last year um i think he is going to look more towards a contender so i do think kansas city buffalo and, and dallas are probably the most uh enticing places for him to land um buffalo as i'm very aware currently has like 1.4 million in cap space 
the Chiefs, uh, according to over the cap, only have 652,000 in cap space. So, and then the Cowboys might be, from a like a lucrative standpoint, they over the cap has them at 10.5 million in cap space available. So yeah, they may have the most. It's, it's worth pointing out the NFL cap is entirely fake. So true. It, it, anyone can make money show up anywhere. Right. Like we were talking about it and I'd have to look more into the exact language of it, but there are ways to get around that cap hit. When, if you move a lot of stuff to like the signing bonus um, and, you know, low, lower the guaranteed amount, hit him with a high signing bonus, et cetera. So there are and, ways to get around it. It's, it's kind of like also it, we're still talking about before the cutdowns to the 53 man roster have happened. True. And it's also kind of, but then again, when you look at the players on that get cut, during that, they're not making much to make a massive, a huge change. But you you are still right that it will fluctuate. Um, NFL salary cap is kind of a little similar to like the NBA, where there's like some superpower team where like they have no cap. There's no way they can make this trade work, and they somehow do. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, I really want it to be Buffalo, obviously, <laughs> once again to show my bias. Um, does the Hale Murray still infect your brain like that? Where you're like, gotta get D hop Hale Murray. Uh, no, that was really infect my brain. Cause you know, like I said, we don't, uh, you know, as we found out, you know, Hopkins was just chocked full of steroids when that happened. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I don't think, did the Cardinals even make the playoffs that year? The they Hale Murray year? Yeah. They lost in the first round, didn't they? Or they just come up short. I think they just came up short of the playoff. And I know Murray. Hail Murray was twenty twenty. So twenty twenty one NFL playoffs. Uh the Pro Bowl was cancelled that year. Did you know that? Did you remember that being cancelled? Probably because of COVID, right? I don't remember that even being cancelled. The Hill Murray was the year before COVID. How weird is that? Weird or a coincidence? I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, it looks like they missed the playoffs. Nope they they played they lost to the Rams. Okay. In the the wild card round. Yeah, they I mean, were we've... they were a wild card team. Mm-hmm. I believe that was the year the Bills got knocked out by the Chiefs. In the second round, yeah, because that—that's when they uh, beat the hell out of the Patriots, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, no, the year we beat the hell out of the Patriots was when we lost to the Chiefs in the comp thirteen seconds. Uh, I was on the twenty-one playoffs. I was on the wrong years. This yeah. was, yeah, the the Cardinals missed the playoffs. <laughs> oh, they did. Okay, yeah. yeah, and the Bills made the playoffs. So uh, the Hale Murray is, you know, kind of dead and gone now. But if they could, if Bean can finagle the numbers and get Hopkins, then we'd have Diggs, who's still, like, a top receiver, a phenomenal route runner, can get separation. Um, you got Hopkins now, who can be your 50-50 ball guy, big body, and then, you know, we can move Gabe Dave into the slot, where he's better than trying to put him on the outside. We could move, uh, get Khalil Shakir more reps, put him out there. I think it would just really round out uh, that receiving core. It'd be really good. I mean, Kansas City is always going to be like every free with now that the Bills are 
kind of like in that bubble of of you know trying to add like a last piece to get to the Super Bowl we're constantly in a bidding war whenever these free agents hit the market with teams like Kansas City that are so appealing for players to try to go to finally get a, a Super Bowl ring what what team or what player have you and Kansas City both been in on at all I don't know you know, now that you're forcing me to give you factual examples, I can't think of one. Like, was, were, was Kansas City really in on Vaughn Miller at any point? I don't know. <laughs> I just feel like any time a veteran free agent ends up getting free and is on the market, maybe there isn't as much overlap as I'm thinking, but it does feel like Kansas City's name comes up a lot. Okay, but, like, <laughs> I think you're definitely overvaluing how often this happens. Maybe I am. This could be re- revisionist history, so I apologize. Uh, so, despite you saying that we, <laughs> that <laughs> D-Hop was going to be quick, and it very much hasn't been. It has not been, yeah. Uh, it's your official pick. I think it's probably going to end up in Dallas. That seems like a D-Hop team. Yeah. It's like the Amari Cooper thing a few years ago. Yeah, and it, it, it seems like a move that Jerry Jones would be hell-bent on going out there and getting done. And they have they have more cap space, so... Yeah, I would agree with that. I just want to point out, DeAndre Hopkins, on a bad team last year, only played nine games, put up 717 yards. Still 11.2 yards per reception, you know. Still a good player, even though I feel like there is, like, a... Some people worry about what the production could be now that he's over 30, but I still think he has a lot left in the tank. So do you have a, you have, you have something here with worst to first you talking uh lions lions weren't even worse. They were third in their division, right? I'm talking, second in their division. I'm talking Chicago bears. Fucking Christ. You're talking <laughs> Chicago bears. I, I don't know. I like, I think the frisky at them. <laughs> I, I, All right, I Bill. Think, yeah. I think, um, I think the Bears are frisky. I like some of the moves they made. Obviously, they brought in... Um, why am I blanking on his name now? The wide receiver from Pittsburgh. Yep. Um, are you just doing that thing where you don't... You know the answer, you just don't tell me? I am. Okay. They uh, traded the 32nd pick in the draft for him, brother. Yeah. Um, he was there last year, too. They didn't bring him in over the offseason. Right. They brought him in last year. And guess year. what? He's not that good. He's fine. Chase He's Claypool. Not a, he shouldn't be a second round pick. Like they overpaid for him. Well, he went to Notre Dame, so I have to stick up for him. I don't have a choice. <laughs> I'm contractually obligated. But I really like uh you know, I thought they got a they were smart in the moves they made at the draft. They acquired more assets and, and moved back and got a very and got what was a high I shouldn't say very good, because like you said, you never know how these players can pan out. Got a, a highly uh touted and scouted uh, tackle in Darnell Wright out of Tennessee. And I'm still a believer in Justin Fields. Call me crazy. Uh, he's a great I, fantasy option. Oh, he's a great fantasy option. Um, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I still think he's going to put it together and end up being a very good quarterback in this league. I know his size is obviously still a concern, but I, don't know, I think they got some nice pieces, some decent pieces there. I mean, their wide receivers don't jump off the page. Um, 
I like yeah. how you mentioned that they got Chase Claypool, but didn't point out that they got DJ Moore when they traded back. That's right. Thank you. That was the big piece of the. Um, I was just about to say that actually. Sure. Uh, <laughs> that was the big piece of the. Uh, of that trade. So I mean that. It's just, they got Robert Tanyan, man. How do you not believe in Tanyan? Robert Tanyan um, isn't even their number one tight end. Cole Komet is their number one tight end. They have three skill position players from Notre Dame. That's wild. Sorry. Cole, Tanyan, and who else? Equinemius St. Brown. Equinemius St. Brown went to Notre Dame. Damn right he did. St. Brown couldn't even get targets when he was one of two wide receivers on that team. Yeah, he's just waiting for the right season to break out. Uh... Yeah, and I think the Packers got worse. I think Minnesota is a weird team who you, I can you can never properly evaluate. And I think right, lot... but they still they still have Justin Jefferson. Minnesota's and... going to be fine. That's true, but and I think uh, I think the Lions are getting are getting overrated. Over, overrated. I mean, they're currently the favorite to win that division at plus one forty five. You big uh, you big Cairo Santos guy? Yeah, he's not bad. All right. <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't. If you ever hear anybody have like hot kicker takes and like just really evaluate them, be like, could be, could be our lane. You know, Kyra Santos, he's like, uh, you know, like somewhere between the fifteen to twenty one range in kicking rankings. Like, I don't know. who is uh, is this is this take entirely driven by them getting Tremaine Edmonds? That's not no, entirely... sorry, TJ Edwards. Wait, which who did they get from the Bears or from the Bills? They got um. It's Tremaine Edmonds, right? Yeah, or yeah, they did. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, they got Tremaine Edmonds, which is another great piece to their defense that they're currently working on rebuilding. I just, I just don't don't sleep on these Bears. Everybody's quick to jump. Rogers left town, and everybody's like, "Oh yeah, Jared Goff and the Lions are gonna make a run for it." They're currently you know? uh plus three eighty to win the 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 North. Fuck! Why is why are the Commanders plus a thousand to win the East? <laughs> Damn. Oh, thank God Arizona has plus 2,400. For a second, I thought the Commanders had the longest odds to win their division. No. But they don't. They only have the second longest odds. Wow. That, that's pretty well. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm calling it here. Get your betting tickets in at plus 380. Bears, worst to first. Did you have any worst to first choices? I mean, the Bears kind of shocked me so much that uh, I'm I'm still kind of stumbling from that um i guess i don't get why everyone is crowning winners in the the nfc south already like that division's entirely up for grabs Mm -hmm. like i would say the same thing about the afc south if it wasn't for the jags just trevor lawrence and and uh uh fucking their coach um uh doug doug peterson god damn it peterson thank you yeah uh dougie p just uh, with with Peterson and and T Law, they're probably the favorite there. But I, I like I, the Bears really really took my breath away. <laughs> um, that picked it. That's that was the other one I was looking at, and well, they weren't worst, but like I like the Panthers betting wise. Um, they almost made the playoffs. They almost made the playoffs. They got it brought in their future uh, their future quarterback. Adam Thielen, you know, not doesn't jump off the page. Still a really he's good. He's stealing it. He's stealing it. They're plus three seventy to win their division. But more, what I like is they are 
their over under on wins is seven and a half. I think they can beat that in a seventeen game season. I think that's a good They'd bet. Have to go eight. Have to go eight and nine. Have to be almost a five hundred team. They weren't that far off that last year, were they? Were they six and ten? Yeah, but now they have a rookie quarterback who's so small that he can't see over his line. How dare you? He's tiny. He's a little tiny, tiny man. Little tiny man. If you want to talk. Oh, I was about to say, if you want to talk first to worst, I'm just so used to the Packers always winning their division. I was going to say the Packers, but it's the fucking Vikings. <laughs> Minnesota. 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 Fucking Minnesota. If you're talking first to worst, the Eagles are an injury away. You think so? That There's a take. If you're going to come after me for my Bears take, I think the Eagles being an injury away is pretty wild. If, if A.J. Brown or Hurts goes down, that team's not – that team's not what it looked like last year, especially with um, their OC going out the door to go coach mm-hmm. the the Colts. But it, it, like if if they get if Hurts gets hurt early in the year enough to to miss time, I don't think that team functions nearly to the level we saw last year. I don't think I, a backup can come in and run that offense. I do think Hurts would be a really big hurdle to get over. But I will say that that's a very good defense in Philadelphia. That can keep them in the, that can keep them in games. Yeah, that's a good point. First to worst, who would be the best first to worst pick? Well, the easy 49ers? one. That it's another one. Their coach keeps them in the game so much. Though. I mean, Shanahan's that's true. Awesome. Minus one seventy five to win their division. They are. Have an over/under wins at eleven and a half. Seems high. That seems high. I think the easiest first to worst is obviously the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They won their division. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was the brutal. It was the brutal NFC South. Yeah, still wild. Yeah, but I guess I mean, Brady. Yeah, it's, it's so easy to forget that Tom Brady was there. I guess it's probably not easy to forget. I. It's so easy for me to forget that Tom Brady was there last year. Yeah. And, like, their wide receiver group, I mean, it's kind of been, like, a pretty wild, like, flip, but kind of feels like it's break. Like, Mike Evans feels like he's breaking down. It just doesn't feel as good as it once did. And if you don't have Tom Brady that can, you know, put a ball literally wherever you want him to put it, that sounded really inappropriate. <laughs> um, it, it definitely changes things. I was going back recently, and I was reading a bunch of old Deflategate coverage. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the dumbest fucking thing that's ever happened in this sport, right? Yeah, and I, I obviously, because of my relationship with the Patriots, feel a certain way about Brady, but that was just total bullshit, in my opinion, the way the NFL handled that, and it felt like a total witch hunt by Roger Goodell, who just, he just had to have, like, the last word and feel like he came out on top in the situation for something that was really dumb. Because Tom, yeah, Tom Brady told his ball boys, like, you know, yeah, I like, like, you know, my ball would be, like, a, you know, have a little bit, like, be on the lower side and the ball boys went a little too far on some of them so it went outside of the nfl's approved range like that's yeah, all it was brady did a radio show where he talked about how he liked when gronk spiked the ball because then the ball had a little bit less air in it and that was completely innocuous when he said it but then mm-hmm. like this deflate gate thing started up and people lost their mind what yeah. was what was the real genesis there on goodell turning this into a like complete holy war was it like was it that he felt that they didn't get enough for the spygate stuff did robert Kraft fuck goodell's wife or something like what what did we 
get what what caused Goodell to get to the point where he was not gonna be reta- or detained from taking down Tom Brady and the Patriots? Which, by the way, the season after Deflategate, they won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um. Well, I don't think Goodell, or I don't think Kraft fucked Goodell's wife unless his wife worked at that massage parlor. Yeah, and uh, that joke was coming as <laughs> soon as I said if Kraft fucked Goodell's wife. Got that one coming. Um. I think it was because the Patriots like pushed back on it initially. And then Goodell got like pissed that like, how dare you defy me? And then he like went after him and there was like all these reports about Brady's cell phone and, you know, yeah, he destroyed and... destroyed it. And then he was like, well, I didn't have anything on there, but my lawyer told me to. And it's like, uh, not a great defense there. Tom. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget. Uh, when that was going on, that was when, Bill Simmons had like his HBO show for like a season or two yeah. and like Ben Affleck was on. He was talking about how like there was this article where uh, Eli Manning got interviewed and he talked about how he liked, you know, like to like take a little like sandpaper to the balls to like give like a little grit to it. And like no one thought anything and just like that wasn't a thing. But this it just got so overblown. And it, it was like one of those things where it's like really like we're you're putting time and resources into this deflate gate thing. But there's other disciplinary things in the NFL where it feels like you guys totally just real quickly do something and move on. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about all the domestic violence shit. Like, who's yeah. really the only person that's lost their career over domestic violence? That one kicker for the Giants like, a few years ago? Ray Rice only got the punishment he got because the NFL got caught with their pants down when someone leaked the video. Yeah. You know? Yeah, which apparently they knew about ahead of time. Yeah. So. Hey, not to not to get on a dark note here before we wrap up because we are mm-hmm. way over time. But what, you got any thoughts on this this Matariza being uh, found no contest to the sexual assault charges? Yeah, I guess um, there was certain evidence that showed he may not have even been at that party and been present when the what the allegations took place. Um, that's pretty pretty crazy. Because uh, yeah. I still don't know if he's going to get a shot in the NFL after this. Well, the Jets have been sniffing around him after that stuff came out. Bastards. <laughs> but I um, I really had I really had a whole epiphany moment where I was like, ah, fuck, I I really buried Ariza coming out of that, and I buried the fucking Bills coming out of that, and then yeah. a a judge and a, a court found him no contest to it, and I feel kind of like an ass now. I guess if you're going to be an ass, be an ass in that way where you believe that someone who got sexually assaulted said they got sexually assaulted by this guy. Mm-hmm. Which, obviously, she was sexually assaulted, but not by Matt Ariza. Apparently. Man, there's a lot of qualifications I have to put on this. Yeah, um, and also, like, that's a traumatic experience. So, like, I don't totally rule out the possibility that she thought he was there, and then it's like, oh, he wasn't? Because it was a group of guys, so... I just don't want I just want people to come out and like be like, gosh, haha, she lied. It's like, no, she may have not lied. <laughs> like she might yeah. have misremembered some details, but it's just an unfortunate situation. Yeah, um, I mean people like the, the character or I I uh, eyewitnesses aren't I don't think they're admissible in court in some states or something like that because eyewitness testimony is so unreliable. Right. Like they'll like, have airplane crashes where people will claim they saw an explosion in the air and then a plane started falling and they'll do like every possible test in the world and they'll be like oh there was no explosion this wing coupling just came off and the plane uh dove out of the air but there was no evidence of an explosion it's just people 
like eyewitnesses in situations that aren't traumatic have trouble remembering things correctly. Yeah. To pivot. To, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. To pivot, uh, just for fun, since, you know, we are doing a little NFL predictions here and there. Um, looking at our, our two teams, oh, Bills okay. over under regular season wins, 10 and a half. Commies. Sorry, Commanders. Um, you can call them Commies. I like that. All right. Six and a half. What do you take on each of those? Fuck. Okay, so I hit this I hit this period every year. Which, first off, let me say, Bill's over. The Bills got so devalued because they did not play well last year, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of evidence to be shown that Allen – and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of scuttlebutt that Allen didn't trust Ken Dorsey. Mm. And they've had a whole other offseason to work on that stuff. So – Hopefully, Allen's coming around. Hopefully, Allen's going to start playing less hero ball. They're bringing in a lot of big body uh, running backs to do goal line work and to catch uh, dump offs in the flat. So, the plan is probably to have Allen run less. So, hopefully, he stays healthy longer. So, I think that we're going to see a Bills team that was more like the 21 22 season and less like the, or I'm sorry, more like the 2021 season and less like the 21 22 season, um, which is a good thing, I should say. Yeah. As for the commies, I've reached the section of the year that I hit every year where I hope they just tear the fucking wheels off the thing and tank blatantly and get the first overall pick once and fix the franchise with that. I mean, like, week three, shut down Jonathan Allen and say Mm -hmm. that he has, like, a torn labrum. And week four, shut down... I... Ryan Robinson and say that he got shot again and week five, you know, shut down Eric B and say that he's having second thoughts about going back to Kansas city. Just tear all of the copper wiring out of the house, get the first pick overall and bring Caleb Williams to Washington. So I'm hoping for the under now in reality, that team's going eight and nine. <laughs> so yeah, with the commanders, I was literally going to say like, when you talked about hoping they tear the wheels off everything and, and rebuild, I was like, yeah, but it's still going to be the same thing every year where come, like, week 10, they're somehow still in the playoff race, and we're kind of like, yeah, they can sneak in here. Um, they, they do this fucking thing every year where in the first mm-hmm. three weeks, they go, like, one and two, and they're like, oh, well, like, in the run Vera, it's like, they'll go, like, one and two or oh and three, and they'll be like, we're working hard to fix a lot of these issues. And Ron Vera gets a pass because the quarterback's been terrible every year. And then something clicks in, like, week five or six. And they go on, like, this little winning mini win streak where they get, like, opponents on the road. And they have, like, their, their bye in the middle of it or something. Although they lost Queen out of their bye last year. But mm-hmm. they get, like, their bye in the middle of this. And th- suddenly they win. Like, they, like, rattle off, like, four wins in a row. And then Bill Simmons is like, this team's looking frisky. And Stephen A. Smith is like, I think that Washington's going to win the NFC East. And, like, all this <laughs> stuff pops up. And then it hits week 11 and the fucking wheels fly off. That's, like... They, they lose to the Giants twice in three weeks, or they need to win one game to secure a playoff spot in the final four weeks and lose all four games. And that happens every year. And they end up 7-10, and 8-9, and, and miss the playoffs. Yeah, I think you're, I'm, I'm agreeing with everything you're saying, so that's why at 6.5, I do think they're somehow – I think I totally believe they'll stumble into seven wins. Yeah. Um, and then the Bills were also on the same page. Living up in Buffalo, there's a, there's obviously been a lot of talk in the offseason like about the offense and even outside of Buffalo. 
because of the way things went last year. But I agree. Ken Dorsey, first year as offensive coordinator. So we're, let's cut him a little bit of slack. Coming into another year, healthy Allen. I think I personally am more worried about how our defense is going to play uh, without Tremaine Edmonds. And we need uh, um, Trey White to hopefully get back to form. And there's, you know, uh, wow, I don't know why I'm blanking on names. McDermott now taking over um, defensive play calling. I think it's going to be a lot of the same that we saw last year, and I'm, I'm not crazy about that. So I have more questions about the defense, but I definitely think we can get over 10 and a half wins. So uh, I know we got to wrap things up. So my last question for you is Chase Young, comeback player of the year? No. No, <laughs> Chase Young's had had one okay season, and Aww. his rookie year when he won rookie defensive player. Chase Young's probably gonna it's more likely to become a draft bust than a comeback player. Mm-hmm. All right, we are we are way over on time. Uh, Mike, you want to get any plugs out there? You wanna you wanna tell anyone about anything coming out soon that you're excited about? Uh, yeah. So, um, head over townloan.com. This week we got some predictions. If you're a pro wrestling fan, me and you. Uh, got together and did predictions for the latest WWE event, Night of Champions, and then tonight going to be Double or Nothing for AEW, and we have predictions up for that. Uh, hopefully, coming up this week, um, I'll be dropping the first episode of TAPWP, the Townload Pro Wrestling Podcast, um, so you can check that out as well. And, uh, you know, just follow me on Twitter at Mike and um, keep checking out Townload.com for for ever growing amounts of content all right and you can you can find me on twitter at, at town alone adam uh i or maybe it's just town alone no it's gotta be town alone adam <laughs> i uh all of our articles that go up i, I make sure that I, I tweet them out so that anyone on there can find them uh but outside of that if you really want to get up to up to the most recent news and, and opinions and stuff you gotta you gotta visit us on the actual website at townalone.com. all right mike Let's uh, go ahead and get out of here and, and get back to watching that Indy 500. Right, lap, uh, lap, lap 128 out of 200. Oh, well, it's done. <laughs>